0: Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a a flower in the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is living and active and it's sharp, and it cuts, and it brings healing, it helps us to understand, it brings clarity. We thank you, I thank you for this psalm that is so helpful in teaching us what the essence of worship is and how we are to draw near to you in worship. So I pray that you would help us to understand. And not just understand in our brains, but be changed in our hearts. And have our hearts warmed to draw near to you and bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. True worship, at its essence, is blessing the Lord with a soul saturated with the blessings of the Lord. Let me say that again. The essence of true worship, worship in spirit and in truth, is blessing the Lord, praising the Lord with a soul that is full and saturated with the blessings that come to us from the Lord. Here we see David preaching to his own soul to bless the Lord with a soul, with a soul full of the blessings of the Lord. In worship, we give to God what he first gives us. I love Romans 11, to 36, which ends with this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And to him belong the glory forever. God pours abundant blessings upon his people in Jesus Christ. Right? Filling our soul with these blessings so that we can in return bless him and praise him. Think of our worship of of God like a young child who asks his dad for 10 bucks so that he can go buy his dad a birthday gift and give it to him, right? A son goes to his dad, can I have 10 bucks? It's your birthday. I want to go buy a gift for you. And the dad gladly receives that gift from his son, right? That's what worship is like. We receive from God grace upon grace upon grace in Jesus, through Jesus, and we return praise and blessing to God with a full heart so when our when our worship is lethargic or weak or lukewarm and i'm not talking about performance like a little off key or anything like that i'm saying when our heart worship is weak and lethargic and lukewarm it's not mainly a willpower issue It's mainly because the well of God's mercy and blessings is running dry in our souls. When we are awakened to the grace of God through Jesus for us, it doesn't matter if we can sing well or not, we will begin to sing. We will want to sing, even if no one else is around. Maybe, maybe, maybe mainly when no one else is around so they can hear us. We'll sing. Well, Psalm 103 is a huge help to us because it shows us this essence of worship and then it gives us a template for worship. This amazing psalm shows us three things. First, it shows us the object of worship. Second, it shows us the heart of worship. And third, it shows us the fuel of worship. So let's go through these. Let's jump in. First, the object of worship. It might seem obvious. The object of worship is God, right? That's obvious. But maybe it's not so obvious. And maybe we need this reminder. This psalm is relentlessly drawing our attention to the Lord. Not to mainly what we do, but mainly to who he is and what he he does and what he has done. Amen. Eleven times in this Psalm, it points to the Lord's proper name. You notice in your Bible, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. That's a cue for us that this is talking about God's proper name, Yahweh. When God revealed Himself to Moses and Moses, and He said, You're gonna go to Pharaoh. And no small task. You're just going to go to the most powerful person in the world and tell him, let my people go. And Moses is like, okay. Who am I going to tell Pharaoh and your people sent me? And God said to Moses, tell, him, tell them I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. Tell them I am has sent you. God is... Yahweh, He is I am, which means the self existent God. This is, I think this is actually important for worship. We come to God in worship not giving Him something that He needs, He doesn't need anything from us, He wants our worship. But he is self-existent. He's always existed. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is I Am. So our worship is given to the triune God who has always existed, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent Lord of the universe, which is stunning that we, when we draw near to God, we are worshiping the King of the cosmos. There is no other. We're worshiping the Lord. So in worship, we don't elevate ourselves. We elevate the Lord. We don't elevate what we do. We elevate who he is and what he has done. The object of worship is unmistakably the Lord. It's him. We also see the heart of worship. True worship starts with an inward reality. It starts inward and works itself out. True worship, worship that is in spirit and in truth, comes from a heart that is full of God, satisfied in God, glad in God, rejoicing in God. And so David starts and ends this psalm like this. Here's how David starts and ends this psalm. Verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then verse 22 ends the psalm like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David, who is a man after God's own heart, He was a man of worship, is talking to his own soul. Isn't that strange? You ever talk to yourself? Oh, come on. You guys all do that, don't you? We all do that, don't we? Even if it's just a little pep talk. Come on, Josh, you can get through this, right? We talk to ourselves. Well, David says, here's how you should talk to yourself. Tell your soul to bless God. Tell your soul to praise the Lord. To bless the Lord means to speak to or to speak about God in ways that bring him honor, in ways that glorify him. It's to sing praises to him and magnify him in song like we just did. I love sitting in front because I get to hear all of your voices. I love that. I love instruments, but the greatest instrument in my mind is the human voice where we can bless the Lord. So, blessing the Lord is singing praises and magnifying God with our voices, with our lives in song. And remember, it starts in the soul. It starts in the soul. That's why David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Charles Spurgeon wrote about this psalm and the opening verses of this psalm. He said, soul music is the very soul of music. In other words, music that comes from the soul, like from deep within, is the very soul of music. The externals of worship, singing, clapping, serving in different capacities, kneeling, raising our hands, lying prostrate, shouting for joy, dancing. We see all of these in the Psalms. But they come or they must come from the inward reality of a soul lifted up to God. Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2, David wrote this, To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. And then he says, Oh, my God, in you I trust. You can hear David positioning his heart, lifting his soul to God, not only saying the words, To you, I lift my soul, but then declaring, In you I trust. Before we lift our voices, before we lift our hands, we need to lift our souls to the Lord. The kind of worship that is external only, and I would even say puts most of the emphasis on externals, Jesus calls vain, hypocrisy. Jesus, quoting the prophet Isaiah, said, These people honor me with their lips. You know how it ends? But their hearts are far from me. There's a way of giving lip service to God. There's a way of honoring God externally while giving the appearance of honoring him while our hearts are a million miles away. So true worship begins With the soul, not lip service, but heart service. Lip service comes from heart service. So, whether we're mumbling words as Luke or Alyssa leads us in singing, or raising our hands, or shouting, or kneeling, if it doesn't come from a soul rejoicing in the Lord. Jesus says it's vain. And we don't want to do that. True worship begins in the soul. So let's face it. Let's face it, right? And I I don't we don't see that this is what David is dealing with here, but there are times our soul is sleepy. Is that true? I'm saying spiritually we're kind of like just sleepwalking. Our souls are lazy at times and our souls need to be aroused. Maybe you're here today and that's exactly where you are. Your soul has been sleeping since you woke up this morning or since last week or for the last year or for the last 10 years. And your soul needs to be aroused. Well, that's what David teaches us to do here is to arouse our souls. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, David teaches us to talk to our souls and say, listen here, soul, wake up and bless the Lord. David uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book on, um, it's called Spiritual Depression. And it's a great book. It's it's a book based on Psalm 42 and 43, where the psalmist does this as well. He speaks to his soul that is discouraged. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says, So often we spend so much time listening to ourselves in our minds and not speaking to ourselves. And we need to speak the truth to ourselves. We need to arouse our souls with the Spirit's help to praise the Lord. But David doesn't stop there. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says, and all that is within me. Literally, with all my insides, with all my guts, with all my inward parts. We use the phrase, you know, from the bottom of my heart. David wants to bless the Lord, and we as his people want to bless the Lord from the deepest part of our hearts, from the bottom of our hearts. David wants to, wanted to give God all that he deserved. He wanted to bless God from everything that was within him. And we should as well. If we would have a heart of worship like David, we need to learn to speak to our souls like this. We give ourselves pep talks, let's do this. Let's learn to speak to ourselves this way. Soul, bless the Lord. And we need to stop saying things like, well, I'm just not the singing type or I really don't get into worship that much or I don't have a good voice or whatever. We need to learn this precisely so that when we don't feel like it, we can encourage our hearts to worship God because he deserves our worship. So the heart of worship, the heart of worship, the heart of this kind of worship is blessing the Lord from deep within, from our souls. And then what David does, and this is really most of the chapter of Psalm 103, is after talking about the object of worship, it's the Lord, well, that's all throughout as well. After he talks about the heart of worship, which is a soul lifted to God and blessing him, He begins to pour fuel on his soul to help him worship the Lord. You know, a fire needs three things, right? It needs something to burn, it needs kindling, and it needs oxygen. And it's like David wants to blow on the embers of his soul to ignite his heart in a flaming fire to worship God with white-hot passion. So he pours fuel or adds oxygen to his soul. And that's what you see in verses 3 to 19. I'm just going to focus on verses, mainly verses 3 to 5, the second part of verse 3 through verse 5, where David wants to inflame his heart. And it starts with this exhortation to himself. So after David tells his soul to bless the Lord, all that is within him, bless the Lord's holy name, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says this, and forget not all his benefits. After David calls his soul to bless the Lord, to magnify the Lord, he says, and don't forget all of his blessings. And that is the problem, isn't it? How forgetful we are. How forgetful we are of the manifold abundance Abundance of blessings that God has given us. We forget the blessings God has lavished upon us, to use the language of Ephesians 1. And when we forget the blessings of God, we get into trouble. We backslide, our souls begin to run dry. Why did the Israelites keep wandering away from God in the Old Testament into idolatry? over and over again. The the Old Testament tells us they kept forgetting. They kept forgetting what he had done for them. Deuteronomy 6. God says, you're going to go, you're going to take this land and all these nations are going to be cast out before you. And he says, but be careful when you're living in houses you didn't build and drinking from cisterns you didn't dig that you forget me That I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. David knows the history of his people and how quickly they forgot and wandered from the Lord. So he stirs up his memory. He doesn't want to forget. We don't want to forget. I'm telling you, when my mind and my heart are fixed on the goodness of God that he has shown me through Jesus Christ that's when my heart wants to be lifted up to the Lord in worship and praise. And when I'm an ingrate and turned in on myself, that's the last thing on my mind is to bless the Lord. So, David stirs up his memory. There's nothing new here. David's not asking God for something new. He's reminding himself of what God has done. There are five statements in verses four and five. Actually, verses three through five. And David wants to load his soul with the blessings of God by reminding himself of them. And these five statements each begin with the word who. In other words, they're not just blessings, but they're things that God has done, activities of God. David wants to remind himself, let me give you an example, not just that he's forgiven, but that God is a God who forgives. Remember, God is the object of our worship. The Lord is the object of our worship, and so... David reminds him of these things. And here's how it goes. He says, bless the Lord and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David says, soul, look at all these blessings and bless the Lord. And then he enumerates them. So let's do the same. Let's just go through these one at a time. These are blessings that just keep on giving. These are blessings that you and I will be celebrating even when we're in heaven before the throne of God in the presence of Jesus Christ our Savior forever. We will be praising him for these things. Bless the Lord, David says, who forgives all your iniquity. God forgives. God forgives, and he forgives not some or most of our sins, but all of them. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you might be thinking of something like in your mind, something comes to you right now, and you're thinking, that too? Yeah, that too. The most embarrassing sins, God forgives them all all in and through Christ. Verse 10 makes it clear why this is such, such sweet and precious news. It says, because our sins are forgiven, it says he does not deal with us according to our sins. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Here's what we have to understand. Our sins before God are sins against God, and they are primarily against him. Our sins against him are not like petty crimes. Each one of them, even the slightest one, is cosmic treason against God and worthy of the death penalty. So I hope you understand that if you are a Christian saved by the blood of Jesus, Understand this. If you are a Christian, you're going through hard things. We all go through trials and difficulties, some tremendous trials and difficulties. Remember this you are always doing better than you deserve. God is merciful and gracious. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. If God dealt with us according to our sins, he would justly condemn us forever. But he doesn't thus deal with us, and we praise him for that, don't we? We bless his name for that. He forgives all your sin. And then verse 12 tells us just how decisively our sin has been dealt with. Listen to this. As far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions? How far is that? Yep. You point that way and just go infinitely in that direction and that way. And and I suppose since we're in the globe, we would meet. But I think the point is, (laughs) I think the point is, East and West never meet. God has removed our sins. Where are your sins? They are gone. And they're gone forever if you are in Christ. That's the key thing. If you're in Christ, they're gone and they're gone forever. And we'll talk about that more later. This reminds me of, of this great scene in Pilgrim's Progress. Silas and I are reading through Pilgrim's Progress again. And it's the chapter where 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 Christian, the pilgrim, comes to the place of deliverance. And he has this burden on his back, right? He's been carrying this burden ever since he left home. And the burden is his sin. And he comes to this hill and he ascends this hill and he sees a cross and he sees down the other side of the hill a tomb. And as soon as he comes to the top of the hill and comes to this cross, the burden on his back begins to loosen. It falls off his shoulders it falls to the ground, it rolls down the hill and falls into the tomb and it says, and he never saw it again. And then two angels come to him and one says, peace be to you and the other one says, behold, your sins are forgiven. If you are in Christ, your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west They've been buried in the bottomless ocean. Hebrews tells us that God remembers them no more. They are not yours to bear any longer. And how can this be? Because Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross. And then he took them to himself when he was buried in the tomb and when he rose from the dead. He left them there. So they're gone forever. One of my favorite uh, one of my favorite lines from a from an old hymn is "It is well with my soul," and second or third verse, I'm not sure. It says, "My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought." You know how it You know how it goes from there. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. We are to worship as forgiven, completely forgiven people, and so we say, bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquity. But there's more. David goes on. He also says, bless the Lord who heals all iniquity your diseases we know that god is a healer right exodus 15 god revealed himself to moses and the people of israel as jehovah Rapha, the lord our healer and this says he heals all of our diseases notice again not some but all of them And notice also it's not a suggestion and it's not a conditional clause. It's not saying if, then. It's saying he heals all your diseases. This is an absolute truth for all of God's people. And so it's important we understand what this means and what it doesn't mean. So what about physical healing, right? All of our diseases, really? Well, we certainly believe that God heals, right? Still, today, we pray for people to be healed and we pray in faith because we believe God is a healer. We just heard a testimony two weeks ago or three when Carmen got up and shared with the church how God had healed her of, those, of the, the aneurysms that she had had in her brain and the condition the doctor was almost completely sure she had. But we also understand that healing in this life is always partial, right? Jesus came and he healed the sick, but many of the people Jesus healed, they got sick again and all of them eventually died. And you and I will as well. So there's partial healing now where God heals our diseases, heals our sicknesses. But in the future, we will receive full and complete healing forever. Even from nagging achy bones. At the final resurrection, we are told that these mortal bodies, which are prone to weakness and decay and sickness, these mortal bodies are going to put on immortality. He heals all of our diseases. But there's also the spiritual healing that I think is implied here in in, in other places in Scripture. There's healing for our souls through sanctification. It's easy for us to see the damage done to people's bodies, right, people that have terrible diseases or debilitating injuries, that's not hard for us to see. What isn't quite as easy to see is, is the damage that sin has done to our souls. The disease of sin on our souls. All of our sins are forgiven, but the sickness of the soul because of sin is another thing. We need, and here's what I think we need, here's the healing I think we need that Jesus gives us. We need the deep love of sin, excuse me, yeah, love of sin and hatred of righteousness healed. We are born with a sinful nature and it's not just that we sin, Jesus said men love darkness and they hate the light. That's what Jesus has come to heal us of. He's come that we might get a new heart, this deep soul healing he blesses us with. Listen to what Peter says. I think Peter helps connect these dots for us in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He says, he himself, speaking of Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree that, listen, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then verse 25 says, by his wounds you have been healed. At least in Peter's mind, the way Peter connects these two things is the healing that comes is he took our sins away that we might die to sin and be alive to righteousness. So we bless the Lord who heals all of our diseases, but there's still more. We bless the Lord, David says in verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. Bless the Lord who redeems your life from the pit. The picture here is of a deep, deep pit with really steep sides for catching, you know, maybe a a lion or, or an enemy. Right. In other words, it's a pit that if you fell in, you could not get out of. Now, this could be describing just various troubles we find ourselves in, right? We can fall into a pit, a pit that we're unable to get out of, trouble, difficulties, trials and difficulties and so forth. But I think it's more likely describing death, falling into the pit, falling into the grave. He redeems your life from the pit as in the grave, These bodies, yours and mine, are going to go in the grave someday, right? The only way they aren't is if Christ comes first. Then they won't. But if we die before Jesus comes again, our bodies are going to be buried. In Romans 8.23, Paul speaks of what we look forward to when he says that right now in these bodies— we groan as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are going to be redeemed. It's not just that our souls are going to be redeemed. It's not just that God can turn, turn around bad situations in this life. But the finality of our hope, the, the consummation of our hope, is that our bodies will be redeemed. Our eternity with God is not um, bodiless, floating on clouds. We are going to get new bodies, and we're going to live on a renewed earth, and we're going to be with Jesus and the people we love who trusted in Jesus as well in bodies, redeemed bodies. Paul describes this transaction that takes place when our bodies are redeemed, when they're raised from the pit of the grave at Christ's second coming when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says what is is sown is perishable. What goes into the ground is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. This is the final hope of the Christian to experience the final victory of Christ's resurrection when he returns and our bodies are raised in glory and power. And so we bless the Lord who redeems our lives from the pit. And then David goes on, he says, bless the Lord who crowns you with steadfast love. I love this picture that God, it's like a coronation. He he puts a crown on our heads. And the crown is something called steadfast love. God's steadfast love is his faithful, loyal, committed, covenant love. It's a, it's a kind of love that will not let his people go. There's an old hymn by that title, O oh love that will not let me go. It's, it's, it's described in Psalm 23:6. Surely goodness and steadfast love shall follow me all the days of my life. It's described in Lamentations 3.22, which says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Amen. This is God's covenant committed faithful love. Verse eight says that the Lord's steadfast love is abounding. In other words, it's just, it's just like a tidal wave. It's just abounding toward his people. It is coming like a tsunami Wave after wave after wave. Verse ten describes the Lord's love this way: It says, "As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him." And verse seventeen says, describing the the brevity of the life of human beings: How we're just we're just like the flower, the of the field, we're here one minute, we're gone the next. Verse 17 says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. The Lord crowns us with love and so we praise him. We, we bless the Lord who crowns us with this love. And finally, David says, bless the Lord who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfies or fills you with good things. Good things. Now, I think we need to be careful here because we can, we can fall into the ditch on either side of the road. One side the, is the ditch of our unsanctified desires. We get to, ter- get to determine what's good, right? And so whatever I want must be good and God must give it to me. That's not the way it works. But... The other ditch is the idea that good it's the idea of good from the standpoint of an unhappy, overscrupulous killjoy. You know, good means things like broccoli and kale and early bedtime, because that's good for you. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I like cake and pizza and steak. Not that it's just about what I like, of course. <laughs> here's, what it's, here's what the original language is getting at. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who fills your mouths with good things. And I think it's a picture of being at a banquet with a spread before you like you've never seen. Remember what Jesus said um, in his teaching on prayer. He said, if you, parents, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, we like to give good things to our kids, right, parents? How much more will your Father in Heaven give what is good to those who ask? The Father loves to give us good things. And... We're told the purpose for these good things, we're, we're told why these good things are given to us, it's so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God fills our life with good things so that we get a spring in our step, so that our strength is renewed with spiritual vigor and energy So bless the Lord who satisfies you with good. When I go through these things, I love the doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We've just looked at some of the rich blessings of God. I just would say the person who will not lift their souls to God in grateful praise is usually very miserable privately, very prone to murmuring and complaining, and often an ingrate turned in on themselves. And their their heart is dry as a bone. And let's face it, that was all of us at one time. Is that true? That was all of us at one time. And sometimes we have our moments and our days. But praise God. God transforms miserable, ungrateful, complaining sinners into forgiven, happy, full-hearted worshipers. Those who are forgiven and healed and have the hope of redemption and are crowned with God's love and are satisfied in God, and so they worship him. These blessings I've enumerated this morning, and I would say every other blessing that comes from God, they come through Jesus Christ. Every single one. And so you and I, we need to be about the business of reminding ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit of all that God has done for us in Christ. And if there's someone here today and you're you just you know you feel like maybe you're on the outside, you're not in Christ, you're kind of on the outside, you may join today by looking to Christ, by turning away from yourself and your sin and trusting in him and all these things, all these blessings and a million others are yours in him. He is a savior who comes fully loaded with every blessing. Ephesians 1 says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places are ours in Christ. And then, when your heart is full of God's blessings, you bless the Lord. We bless the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the help of the Psalms. I thank you for the help of this Psalm to teach us how we may arouse our souls and how we may remind ourselves and even specifically remind ourselves of specific blessings that we don't want to forget. Because, oh, Father, when I forget, I wander. I do.